Hey everybody, it is me, Gina Marie, co-founder of Mixed in the Six, and you are tuning in to the Mixed in the Six podcast, sharing stories and building community with my fellow mixed people. You are listening to part two of the Mixed in the Six podcast, episode four with Malcolm Hooper. There's no answer on what the, there's no solution to this problem. There's nothing I can tell you where you can take into your life and and tackle everything that comes across your table. And so all I did was try to do the best I possibly could to be as truthful for myself as a wits with the audience. Because another thing as well is when I'm on stage, you can't see anything, right? The lights are so bright. Yeah. You can't see anything past the front row. So I want to be talking to you. Trust me, I, I want to be talking to you, but I can't be. So at, in, at the end of the day, I'm actually talking to myself. Yeah. And when I talk about what I've been through, I'm talking for myself. Mm. So I'm going to put all of the emotions that would happen when I was there, all of this and all of that in. And that's, that's where I wanted to kind of segue and move as well is because in terms of race, I realized that Malcolm, just because you're blinded by those lights, in no way does that mean you're speaking for yourself. Mm. And, you know, I thought I was, I thought I was writing a story for myself. I thought it was very therapeutic. I uh, connected with my, uh, my, my inner child. I, I saw yeah. myself, I saw parts of myself that I never saw. Um, and I thought I truthfully, I was writing for myself and it wasn't until I had real connections with people after yourself included, we talked at halftime and here's, here's what was interesting is that at halftime, I remember distinctly, you were talking about how being mixed, how that stuck out to you, but that you were the first person in the audience to bring that up to me. Also, I didn't write my speech as, as what it's like to be different. That was a completely hidden undertone. But what you showed up that night, that's what you needed to hear. You know, yeah. that, that is what you needed to take away from those six minutes of me talking. And so when I, at the end of the night, when I, when I had sat, sorry, let me backtrack. When I had sat down and wrote my speech, I wrote it for the, the power of belief. That is what I wrote my speech for. The end of the presentation night, after I spoke to 50 different people about my speech, well, they thought I wrote it because of this and that and that yeah. and that. And, I, and then I slowly started to realize is, Malcolm, you're not writing for yourself. You're, you're writing through yourself, about yourself, for other people. And that's when I, that's when I really started to get it. And I mentioned before how um, I wanted to, to be a, a police officer. Yeah. So that kind of pertains to, to this. Do you mind if I... Go ahead. Say? Yeah. Okay. So... Um, I got denied uh, from the Royal Military College because of my asthma. Mm, so great. I was accepted to the Royal Military College with a conditional offer. And this was after I went back to high school following my graduation to get extra additional courses because I, I screwed up my whole timetable when I was homeless. Uh, I picked mm-hmm. cooking, gym, fitness, uh, guitar. But when I realized I wanted to go to university, I had to go back and get those additional credits. Right. So I did you know, the work that was needed and then more. So this was the biggest thing to ever happen to me. I thought, you know, I was up for consideration for the top army cadet in Canada. And now I'm going to the Royal Military College. This is going to be my full-time job. This is a joke. You know what I mean? This, I'm groomed for this. Um, And I, I got a phone call from my uncle. So it's my dad, my adopted dad's brother. And we obviously the whole family had a falling out. He was just checking up on me. And I told him, I said, I have a conditional offer to the Royal military college. I said, I haven't told mom and dad yet. Um, I was going to call them when I got to Kingston just to be like, uh, you know, I did it, you know, I, mm. I'm firmly feet on the, on the ground type thing. And he actually told my, my dad and I asked him explicitly not to. And my parents printed an ad in the paper saying congratulations Malcolm on being accepted to the Royal Military College we love you always love mom dad Ashley and David my two adopted uh, siblings and so that was hard for me because I you know I've never stepped foot on the campus 
And I, to this day, have people asking me, Malcolm, how's the Royal Military College? And so after I got denied, that was a very, very tough moment for me. Um, I had to start applying to civilian colleges and universities. I knew I still wanted to go to the Royal Military College. And so I was looking at these civilian ones as like a segue to get my medical cleared and go. Um, I ended up going to Durham College and I decided, well, Tammy actually suggested it. So I'll give her all the credit. Mm -hmm. But I was going to go to university and take a random diploma. And she suggested, she said, Malcolm, well, you know, what if your medical never clears? Why don't you go to Durham College? take police foundations, at least start doing what you wanted to do anyways, and then take calculus and English at uh, university. So that's what I did. And for the first, my first two police foundations years, uh, sorry, my first year of police foundations, I was in denial. I was just like, I was a pit stop. I'm here. Uh, I'm going to, I'm going to get my medical cleared and I'm off. You know, I was up for, I was up for, you know, top cadet in Canada, blah, blah, yeah. blah. <laughs> you know, I have to be going to the Royal military college. And I was in class and I didn't like it. You know, I excelled at the army. I, I, sorry, I excelled in my program at the college here. I got excellent marks. I got uh, asked to do a pilot program, uh, a program that had never been done in the police foundations diplo uh, diploma. I got asked to, to pilot it with two or three other guys from my program. So I did that. I, I, I was killing it. I was doing awesome. But something wasn't right with, with me. There was something weird about it. And it was, there was partially, you know, how I was treated. Um, again, it's, it stemmed back to, I really want to join this, this team here when my, I'm studying for it and, you know, I'm, I'm going through flack. So, and then I also, every time I'd go into class, I would hear, you know, Malcolm, are you going to apply to the police force? You'll get it. You're black. Mm. Well, what do you mean? And I, I genuinely have white people whining to me telling me how how nice it must be to 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 be black so that i could so that i could compete in this this competition that it is to 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 have a badge and a gun and i used to be like this is not why i'm here mm -hmm. and so um i played sports for a very long time i've been named captain a lot uh i had a voice I knew I, I had a voice from the army cadet program. I'd done, I, I taught a lot of lessons. I did this and you know, I was halfway through my, my second year and I did, I determined, I said, I do not need a badge and a gun to make it an impact at that moment. That's when I said, I don't need a badge and a gun to make an impact. And there was the, the one minute speech competition at my school and I, and I took it. But when you were asking about my, my speeches, um, and I was saying that I have a, I have a sense that I have to, I don't speak for myself anymore. I speak for mm -hmm. other people. All of that combined, you know, I, I heard on the news the other day, someone was saying, um, what were they saying? Something about blue. I don't know what they're saying about, they're talking about the cops and stuff like yeah, that. I know. Yeah. I don't, I forgot. I, I think it's related to uh, the silence that, that like yeah. the police is that what they, they yeah, yeah, they were saying something about like, you know, you know, we're talking about saving people of color and their lives. And then they're saying, let's save blue, let's save their, mm. and yeah. you know, the, the hardest thing for me to wrap my head around and the, the best way I can explain it is this, you know, the police officers, it's a uniform. Mm -hmm. You've heard this a lot of times before, but let me explain it one last time because I was sitting in the classrooms being groomed to be a police officer, experiencing racism. So you're, you want to talk about how, you know, black people, all that they try to say, especially through this terrible time that we're going through now, is that it's not a choice. You know, we can't just take our skin color off and go home for the night. But I'm in a classroom of people that can do that with their uniform. And I'm isolated in some cases. And I'm not saying it was a, it was a terrible experience and, you know, Durham College, we should go investigate them for racism. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying the minor bits of racism that I've experienced in my day-to-day -day life, I saw that in a police environment. And I saw people stabbing people in the back. I saw people doing, not acting in a way that they would normally act, but acting in a way that would get them noticed. And from that moment forward, I said, 
I have to do what I'm good at. I have to make a difference. And that's what all I wanted to do as a police officer. But I said, I do not need a badge and a gun to do that. And the second I started speaking, and I, like I said, finished my first speech, I realized you're not speaking for yourself. You're speaking for anybody that wants to listen to you talk. Yeah. And you're speaking for that file that you, that you got sent, that you read through, you're speaking through, you're speaking for those kids that were in your shoes, those kids that not are in your shoes, those kids that you're speaking for everybody. Right. Yeah. And, and it really, really hit home when people like you came up to me and, and drove that point into my head because I didn't get that for a very long time. Uh. And I, I would like to come back to the discussion of sort of current events right now with police brutality and mm -hmm. um, the black community, uh, just because we've been talking about your speech now for, for a bit. Um, your speech has been watched, viewed, like, mm -hmm. like across the platforms by 200, 2 million times. Mm -hmm. Like, yeah. so, so, so for those who are listening, um, you can find Malcolm's speech from Speaker Slam uh, through, if you go on to Facebook or Google Inner Light Malcolm Hooper. So, if, you know, if you're wanting to, to hear it, please go listen to it. Um, and, uh, and yeah, you're right. Like, you know, when you're speaking and you're sharing your story, it's your story, but it's like translating and transcending into like, you know, and having a, an impact on someone out there in the, in the universe. Mm -hmm. um, one of my questions for you, Malcolm, is like, well, you know, my response to it, I was, so, I was like, I was so happy to be in attendance and so moved. But what has been the response from, from people uh, that have watched your speech online or, or other, you know, what, what have people said about it and what, was, what did they find about your speech that moved them? Um, you know, for a lot of people, it was just not knowing. I think mm. that was the biggest thing. I did, I did a phenomenal job of, of hiding it. And it's one of the, the biggest things that I regret to this day. Um, because the, from the second I was kicked out, I still went to school. I still went to my classes. I did everything the same. And I was so embarrassed that I had something like that going on in my life that I didn't tell a single soul. Yeah. I put a smile on my face. I, I was going to my university lecture classes in grade, like, or my university classes in grade 10 that, you know, I just, I figured it'd be more weird if I stopped going, which was true. Right. So you know, when, when these, when this came out, people were shocked. Yeah. It was like, I, it was like, I came out to the world. I said, Hey guys, you know, you had no idea. It was right under your nose the whole time. And it was, and it allowed them to think back to all those moments. And I had a lot of people messaging me saying like, Oh, when, when this happened, were you homeless? Or like, you know, when I invited you in my house, but I was always curious, like why you never invited me home? Like, mm. were you homeless? And that was a lot for people there. Um, and then another thing that was a lot for people or another, like a, a lot of responses that I got was just this, um, this sense that like, I don't know, I got, I got the, it was, it was too much, you know, people were, people were happy. People were sad. People were, um, were shocked. Um, people were angry at my parents and that was not the message that I was trying to get across at all. Um, people were were sad for me. And that wasn't the question I was trying to get across at all. What I'm trying to explain is that, you know, like I said, at age 16, I found out who Malcolm Hooper was. And it was the best feeling for me in the world. And I'm trying to, I'm trying to push that message for, you know, and it, it got, it got difficult. Um, because when I released my first speech, there was no strings attached. I didn't know what I was getting myself into. You know, it was the first time I had ever taken a stage in front of an audience and I, I had no training. I didn't do any sort of, you know, what do you call it? Toastmasters or any sort of anything. And so I didn't expect their response. And so I wrote from a place of authenticity. I wrote from a place of like, judgment free because I didn't care what anybody's opinion was. Um, you know, until I got your opinion and then I yeah. your opinion. Um, but when I went into my next speeches, I got all that. Everyone told me that you were authentic. You were vulnerable. The best compliment I got actually was from my mentor. And she said that I made her feel like the hero of her own story. Mm, yeah. That was the best, the, yeah. the best way I could explain it. But I'm sure that's what many people have felt listening. I appreciate that. I hope yeah, so. Sure. I hope so. Um, but 
then I went into my second speech. And pr just prior to that, I had broken my leg. Um, my leg, my, my foot turned 180 degrees. Uh, so I had a spiral fracture, a broken tibia, all the ligaments in my ankle were torn. I was hopped up on medication. There's a million excuses as to why. <laughs> and I don't like getting into it because it's a sensitive subject. But I wrote, um, I wrote for other people. Mm, yeah. I wrote, I imagine every single person that came up to me and told me what they took out of my speech. I tried to write a speech that had that. Uh. But I didn't realize that the first time I wrote my speech, you guys came up to me and told me what you took away from it. I didn't help guide you in that direction. You came in with your own issues, your own amazing experiences, and you felt a connection. Well, I tried to do something that wasn't me. And it was just a simple reminder of my first 13 years of my life. You know, Malcolm, this isn't who you are. Um, you know that. And it took you know, it took losing that competition. And my friends told me like, Malcolm, you should have won, you know, you, you got, you, you know, whatever. No, I lost. I lost because I tried to take inspirational speaking and making it a competition. I tried to compete in an inspirational speaking contest. And that was the dumbest thing I could have ever done. Because the first time I went out there and I was just true and I was authentic and I was vulnerable that was when I got the emotional response. And in my day-to-day -day life, it's the exact same premise. Mm -hmm. You know, when you're talking to someone, if you are who you are and you are true to yourself, that is what that person will take away. They'll find what they need to take away from you. When you try to solve all of their issues, that's when, you know, they're going to get that mixed message and not understand you. Yeah. Yeah. Oh. That's such an important message for people to hear, just even just from speaking. When you're speaking, you're a story and sharing, like share from your heart, not for what you think other people are mm -hmm. want to hear. And just so people know, um, the, the first speech that we're referring to is the, the speech that you did at Speaker Slam, the one that you can fight on, find on Inner Light. Uh, mm -hmm. That's when I was there. <laughs> when, you came, when you hear Malcolm talking about like when I came up at half by top, that was me like, oh my yeah. gosh, your speech was so good. You it know really what's funny was. actually, what's funny about that night is that I presented fourth of 10. So you ran up to me and you were talking to me while the fifth person was presenting. Yes, that was what happened because you were, you were crying. I know. And I, and I looked at you and I said, I don't want to be rude, but I have to watch this fifth person present. And yeah. you were like, oh my gosh, I'll catch up with you at halftime. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know. Well, I remember I, I, I actually really need to go to the washroom. And then I was, and I was crying. I was really emotional. And then I, you like walked past me and I was like, oh my gosh, your speech was so amazing. And then, yeah, we both had to go. Yeah. Um, but it was, so it was really great to, to be able to, well, obviously watch the rest of the show. Speaker Slam's awesome. Mm -hmm. Shout out to Dan and Rena. Mm -hmm. They're um, amazing as well. Um, but yeah, just to, to be able to connect with you afterwards. And, um, and, now, and now we're here. You know, we're here. And, and then just also know when people, when you're talking about the second speech, you as the winner of Speaker Slam with the first mm -hmm. speech, you were invited to compete for the Grand Slam. The Grand Slam. Right? Yeah. Against all the other previous monthly winners. Correct. Yeah. 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 So that's huge. And then, you know, I guess your experience was that it would, that particular time you were writing for other people. Yeah. So yeah. the best way I can explain is that like, I was just, it's just inexperience. I, I had never, I had never wrote anything before my first speech. And so when I wrote my first speech, I had nothing to lose. Mm -hmm. um, and then when I was going into my next speech, um, it was like, it was, it was like, I was an expert in what I was doing. You know what I mean? And yeah. I had to, I had to duplicate it. That was my biggest problem is that after I did it and I left that theater, that video was in circulation. Yeah. So people were inviting me on podcasts or, or global news. I went on global news too. That was crazy. And my point is it was all about the first podcast. Sorry. So yeah. I didn't have to have any original thought of my own. All I had to do was explain how I felt and what I meant when I said this and the thing. Well, what I was explaining, expected to duplicate it and I was like oh my god like people started telling me you know you could be a speaker for the rest of your life but how can I be a speaker for the rest of my life if I can't even if I can't even be truthful and authentic and and, and speak to that what I'm what I'm saying is is that I needed that yeah I needed to lose there I needed to and you know what? The people didn't need to lose. But the best way I can explain it is at halftime, I was in this particular competition, there was 
um, I think 12 of us or 14 of, oh, 14 of us, I think. Mm -hmm. I was presenting after halftime. But at halftime, people were coming up to me saying that they have me pegged winning. Mm. I have yet to even present. Yeah. That is why I tried to write a speech for other people. So the, re the response that I got was amazing. Um, but there was a select few people that, you know, expected me to do it all the time and expected that I was this, you know, this super speaker. I needed to lose that. I needed to go back to square one and Mother's Day the other day, I sat down and I wrote a Mother's Day spoken word poem and I wouldn't consider myself a poet. I, uh, I know you said at the beginning of this podcast, <laughs> I, just, I just watched a lot of um, spoken word things. I think it's amazing. I think it's mm -hmm. super powerful. And Mother's Day was particularly tough for us this year. There was a big issue in the family that took me in that they were struggling with. I was, I was two hours away at school. I'm trying to help deal with it. Um, as well as it brings up a lot of unease and a lot of questions for me. Um, so I wrote a Mother's Day uh, spoken word poem, but again, it was from a place of authenticity. No one, was yeah. telling me to, no one was telling me to write it. No one was telling me that this is a theme, you know, or you, there's, there, you're going to place in this order. And that was when I realized as well that I can speak for people. Not I can, I must. Mm. I must. And that was when I realized right there that that for some reason I got into this, this speaking industry. I, I, you know, it was just a competition one day. It was just a $400 entry and here we are. But for some reason I made sure that that happened. I was successful in the times that I was needed to be successful to give me the opportunity to be unsuccessful to now realize that you must be authentic. You must be true to yourself. And most importantly, now that you figured out who you are from that paperwork, from you know, years and years and years and years and years. You must talk. You yeah. must speak. You must speak because there's there's millions and millions and millions of people that will just be silent forever. And I can't imagine the worst thing I can imagine is when I was age three and I went to 16, I'm lucky that I had that stop at, at 16 where I was able to become Malcolm Hooper after that. Some people never have that. And so I started realizing that I'm speaking for people. I'm speaking from myself, but I'm speaking for every one of those people. Mm. And, and as this time goes on where, where we have these race wars and yeah. you know, this terrible time, I'm realizing more and more that I'm not just speaking on behalf of a light-skinned 6'4 male. I'm speaking on behalf of the whole black community. Yes. And that, that boggles my mind because I didn't, even see, I didn't even see myself as black. And now I feel not the you know, not the need to, but a certain level of responsibility to sit down and get behind the microphone because I am able to. Mm -hmm. Right? Yeah. Well, you're in front of a microphone. You have a captive <laughs> audience, me and everyone who's listening. Um, because of, well, not just because of what's happening right now, but because, you know, you are, you have such a strong voice and there, you, this is a calling for you. You know, what would, what are your reflections on what's happening right now in the world with the black community and police brutality? And, and what message do you want to send to people who are listening, who can be allies? The best way I can explain this uh, is through a story um, and, and an analogy. And I hope, and I hopefully it sheds some light on it. Um, I talked about going to see a therapist every weekend. Um, it, there, were, there was one set every weekend, but there was more than just the weekend. Yeah. Um, but what I realized about going to the therapist was I felt that it was a three on one. I felt it was my two parents and my and the therapist versus me. Um, and I felt like I didn't have a voice. So I felt like every time. So for, let me put this into perspective. If we sat in the meeting and my parents would explain everything that negative that's going on in the house, if I agreed with every single thing that happened in this, that was going on and I just stayed quiet, kept my mouth shut. No problem. Didn't speak up. Then we would leave there, we'd go get pizza down the road, and my parents would say, doesn't that feel good? Well, if I spoke up and said, well, no, I don't agree with that, or that didn't happen, or whatever, well, then we wouldn't go for pizza, and my mom and dad would say, why are you wasting my money? We're just trying to help you. So I had two choices. Either I stood up and said something, and I dealt with those consequences or I didn't and black people haven't for 
a very long time because they, they haven't had, they haven't been able to. And I, I get that. That is the black population sitting in that room with that therapist. And, you know, there's that therapist was assuming things that happened in my life. He wasn't there. He wasn't walking around lit, like living with the three of us. So he took my parents word for whatever they said. So if I argued that I look like a, 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 you know, a disgruntled child. And, and if I, and if I just left it alone, then my name is being trampled through the dirt. And that's exactly what this is, what we're facing with right now. For the longest time, black people sat there on that couch in that room and didn't say a word because we wouldn't go get pizza after, right? We wanted to go get pizza. And when I say go get pizza after and say, doesn't that feel good? The relation to that is live a normal life. And I know that blows people's brains because their relation to that is literally going like a reward, like getting pizza, right? It's above average. Our reward for keeping our mouth shut and doing nothing is average. And when I spoke up as a kid and I said, that's not right. No, this is what actually happened. And we didn't go get pizza. And I, and I got, you know, the whole hour and a half car ride home. I'm getting told that I'm wasting money, that I'm just this, this angry young kid, yada, yada, yada. Isn't that what's happening to black people right now? Aren't, isn't everybody else telling them that they're, that they're angry, that they're, you know, the, that they're just plain thugs. Isn't that what the word that's going around right now yeah. is thugs. And you know what? I'm, I, for one, I'm sick of it because I sat against my will in this chair in a losing situation every single weekend for as long as I can remember. And for as long as these people can remember, they sat in that chair and got forced to say, uh, forced to agree with everything and forced to keep their mouth shut every single time. Now, this is bigger because we're in a quarantine. We're in a pandemic. I was talking to my friend the other day. I said, you know, not that these things go unnoticed when we're not in a global pandemic, but, you know, people get busy. Mm -hmm. So, you know, if I want to sit down and have this conversation with you, like not during a pandemic, maybe we're both busy. Maybe it's just too time consuming. Mm -hmm. But, you know, with nothing to do right now, I'm pissed off. I'm angry. And I'm angry because I didn't spend 13 of years of my life living a cookie cutter life, being bullied, being, being treated differently, not understanding, then getting it, then being laughed at, then being cried with, then being told it's cool to be different. And then it's not cool. I didn't go through that to figure out who I was to then learn that my brothers and sisters are, are, are dying and, and from the hands of a white man, no less only because he's different. And that is my life in a nutshell. That is your life in a nutshell. That is every mixed race, every ethnically diverse person to ever step foot on the earth. That is, that is their, their struggle is that they're different. And we've been quiet for too, like for too long. You know, we've been, we're tired. We're tired of it. Yeah. The, equiv the, the reason why I said the best way I can explain this is because I did that. I sat there. I took that pizza. You know, I mm -hmm. lived an average lifestyle. I went in there and agreed with my parents. Like, oh, yeah, that is, what I, that is how I asked, acted for the last week. Yep. Just to get through it. Mm -hmm. But what did I feel? What, what really, what did I accomplish? You know, the, the goal of therapy was to put everything on the table so that we could recognize a problem and solve it. But when I agreed with everything or just stayed under the radar, we didn't fix anything. And so years went by, months went by, years went by, and I'm just agreeing with this therapist. What good is that doing? And then, like I said, I started to realize I had a voice of my own and I said, no, that is not right. That is not right right there. And all that's happening is we're doing that on a bigger scale. Mm -hmm. And when I explain that story to people, they say, good, you know, you, you know, you weren't in the wrong. It, it was a three on one. You should have said what was truly happening in the house. And I said, well, why can't black people? All they're doing 
is explaining what truly goes on in the house when that therapist is not there. And on top of that, you know, they don't get it. They can't get it. Right. And they, they want to get it. That's the biggest thing is that the therapist, he, so the therapist in this case is, is the white man. Yeah. And you know, he's got this skills. He's got, he's got his, uh, his PhD. He's got his doctorate, all this stuff. Um, but he cannot look at me as a child and understand what I endure in that household from the second I wake up to the second I go to bed. And it, and it doesn't matter how many sessions we have. It doesn't matter how many notes you take. Unless you're in that house with me, you can't. And let me put this into perspective a little bit more. We had a person come into our house to monitor the living situation. But even in that, it was a facade. It was fake. It wasn't how it truly was because there was another person in there. So you still can't get it. Even when you're there, you can't get it because it's never how it truly is when you're not there. So why am I in a room with you trying to explain to you why I stole $20 from my mom's wallet? You, you can't get it. You don't want to get it. If you wanted to get it, you would insert yourself into my house and you would watch or you would hide little hidden cameras or you would do something to find out the real truth. But you're not trying to do that. You're trying to ask me why I'm an angry young child. And when I argue or when I bring up a contradicting point, I'm wasting your money and we don't go for pizza. Well, in this whole particular case, I think that, you know, the brothers and sisters out there are just fed up. Yeah. You know, we've been sitting on that couch being asked, you know, what's wrong? What's wrong? What's wrong? And we just went with it because going with it's easier. Going with it doesn't, doesn't cause another death. It doesn't put a spotlight on it. And another thing too, and this relates exactly back to, my, to being kicked out of my house is when I didn't tell anybody that I got kicked out of my house because the last thing I wanted to do is spotlight it. Because there's people that will, will, will spotlight it in the wrong way. You know, they'll bully me for being homeless or, you know, not every person is going to reach out and offer me a home that knows I'm homeless. And not every person, when you shine a light on racism, not every person is going to be out there trying to stop it. When you shed a light on it, you could be inviting other onlooker, onlookers like into the issue. So mm -hmm. just like white people are saying, well, why don't we just talk about it? Why don't black people always hide it? Well, they're not realizing that these people exist everywhere and it's easier to just push it under the carpet and try to get that slice of pizza to try to live an average lifestyle. And I say try and I stress try and I never actually mean try because they'll never succeed. But I mean try because they have to do their best to, to get the bare minimum. Now, we're in a quarantine. We're at home. My schedule does not look like what my schedule looks like before the, the quarantine and mm. the pandemic. I remember that I have a voice. I remember that, I, I'm, that my job here, my role on this planet is to speak and to be heard. And I've got the time, I've got the energy, I've got the resources, and you will hear my voice. And it will, you know, will kind of fade out into a sea of angry brothers and sisters, and you're going to hear me and you're going to think like logically, like here is a, you know, he's not angry. He's not smashing windows and he's not yada, yada, yada. But maybe I have to talk to you in this manner so that you can, so that you can understand it. If I want to talk to you in a way that I truly want to talk to you, we won't get anywhere because we'll just be yelling at each other through the microphone. It won't mm -hmm. even make sense. As a speaker, I also have to recognize that, like how my message is going to get across. And when I say I have a certain level of responsibility for speaking, I have a certain level of responsibility for making sure that I pick the right way because there's people that are picking the wrong way right now and they're making themselves look bad. But they're not the, the, the target here, right? You know, racism's the target here. And people lose sight of, of what we're even fighting. When, when, when that happens. So everything's going on 
Um, I have a certain obligation. I feel specific ways about it, but you know, we've been quiet for too long. You know, I, I didn't, I didn't find out who I was as a person to realize that I was in a world of shit. Mm. I found out who I was as a person so that I could have an opportunity and a clean slate at, at anything I wanted to do. And I'm going to fight now. I'm going to fight until, you know, the, the day that I pass away in order to, to live that specific life that I set out. Yeah. Wow. So with that, what do you, what would you want people who are listening, who want to be allies in this, mm-hmm. this situation? Cause I, cause it's out there. People are angry and rightfully right. so the black community has endured so much and I mean, you, anywhere you look now, I mean, we're on pandemic time, so you can go on the internet and see what's happening mm-hmm. so from, for, for you, Malcolm, for people who are listening, who want to be better allies, what would you want to tell them? I would say, uh, knowledge and research is number one. Um, I'm not talking about my race and my ethnic background because I have no idea. And had you asked me about my race and my ethnic background when I was 15 years old, I would have politely declined this podcast because I don't know who I am. I don't know, you know, I don't know what my background is. I don't know about what my ancestors went through. I don't know about slavery. I don't know about those things, but I do know now because I took that, those hours, those minutes, those, those days, those years to appreciate who I was. And the, the problem that we're running into now is a lack of knowledge and understanding. And it shines through so evidently. And we're at a point right now where tensions are at such a high right now that, you know, a lack of understanding or um, ignorance is a better word for it, can set a fuse, can light a fuse yeah. just completely off. And it's like, if I wake up and I have a bad day and you ask me like a dumb question, and you don't know any information on it. You just ask me, you know, a half-assed question about something that I'm super passionate about. I'm going to tear you a new one. I'm going to tear a strip off you. Right. But if I'm in a great mood and you ask me about this, I'll, I'll have all the time in the world. Well, guess what? We're not in a great mood. We're pissed off. You don't have, there's no time to be ignorant. There's no time to not understand what's going on and why it's going on. And it relates back to, you know, being an adopted a parent and talking to your kid right now and black people are not toddlers in any way. I don't want to, I don't want to get that mixed up, but I'm saying the way that we, that we need to handle this situation is so basic in its sense that we could do the same thing with a toddler, but on a bigger scale and with race, we choose not to, but I've been told treat others the way you want to be treated since I was born. But yet that doesn't, that doesn't pertain to some people. Mm. Right. And yeah. I hate the saying, I see no race. Yeah, I, me too. I hate it. Me and it, it drives me, drives me nuts because you think you're, you're being not racist. Like you, you, you think you're so in the clear, you're almost smug about it. You know, I see no color. You're almost smug about being racist because I want you to see my color. Mm-hmm. I spent, I spent four or five years making sure that I saw my color when I looked in the mirror and I didn't see that white cookie color boy anymore. I saw who I am. I want you to see that. I spent time developing. I spent tears. I spent laughter. You know, I spent all this time. I want you to see who I am and I want you to get that. Now, are you ever going to understand it? No, Mm -hmm. you cannot. You've never been in that house. You've never been in that skin color. There is no level of empathy here that can make you get it. I do not care. There's no level of empathy. Now, does that mean we show no empathy? No. That means that you try and you try and you try again to get it. And you tr- Because when I knew nothing about who I was, I had two options. I either learn or I don't learn. And yeah. nothing, nothing is more terrible than the people that have an opinion in this and have learned nothing mm. because, you know, if, if we don't learn about history, then history is deemed to repeat itself. And yeah. if you look back in history, we've got race wars, we've got slavery. And I don't know about you, but I do not want to repeat that. There are deaths and, and being, having been so close to taking my own life, 
it makes me realize that when I did develop a sense of passion for life, it was a passion that is unexplainable. Is that is, before life was dull, but now life is exciting. And it's like, when you just figure it out, like that was a kid. I figured that out. I was 16, 17 years old and I'm just starting my life. I might as well be zero years old from 16. And, and you want to, you want to not know my story, not know anything about me, not care, not try to care, not try to learn, not know anything. And you want to take that away. N not my rights, not my, you know, no, my, my life. Mm. Yeah. everything and I mean you know, there's going to be podcasts there's going to be songs there's going to be art but the one thing I want to stress is no matter how much research you're going to do you're going to come up with you know disturbing things you're never going to get it and I want you to know that before you go into your research and I don't want it to deter you from your research I want you to be aware that there will always be something you're missing. And I had this discussion. I was in Toronto with a, with a couple of my friends and I, and I had a, a, one of my white male friends and I have a, a lady friend of color and she's from Bermuda and she was trying to explain to him. And he's saying, you know, like at this time of the year, it's, or this was before the pandemic and everything. He's saying, you know, arguably there's no better time to be black. You know, like, you know, the president was just black. You know, you, you can get better jobs like that. And she lost it. Yeah. And she was explaining to him and he wasn't getting it. He's saying, I'm not trying to be racist. I'm just trying to say there's certain advantages to being black. And then her and I, we just had a nice long sit. And she, she snapped immediately to rage. And mm. she just snapped and she started talking about how she has to straighten her hair to apply to a job because it looks more white, right? Um, stuff like that. I had to explain, you know, a few times that I've endured it. Um, you know, being in a store and having security move two, right. three steps closer to you or ask you, can I help you with anything? But you've asked me three times already, you know, yeah. um, or walking down the street and then an elderly couple sitting on their porch, just beep, beep, just checks and makes sure that their car is locked, right? Just simple right. things like that. And so I'm trying to tell him that I get what you're saying too. And here's another thing that people aren't understanding as well. We, as people of color, We've been accepting, you know, we, we have been, you know, we've been trying to be accepting, blah, 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 blah. But we can't be ignorant to the fact that you guys, like white people never get it. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Not you guys. Sorry. Like I was talking like, to I, white people. I should never do that. <laughs> I should never, ever, ever do that. Sorry. I was just like mentally thinking of a message I would send, you know, somebody, but, um, you know, we also, as black people, have to recognize that we want you to do your research. We want you to check. We want you to learn. Um, but you're never going to get it. Mm, yeah. And, yeah. And another thing that's frustrating for me, too, is that, you know, where do I fall under? Yeah. Right? And, and I think, like, on a podcast for Mixed in the Six, this is, this is a specific topic that we should talk about, is that I'm being kind of torn in two directions as well through this. and. As this goes on, people are going to ask me and begin to ask where my standpoint is. Mm, yeah. And ever since like I found out who I was and, you know, I'm not saying that my, the black history in me um, shines through any more than the white does, but I'm saying at this particular point, it needs attention. Right. Yeah. So obviously I'm going to be angry and pissed off and it leads me to like, well, Malcolm, do you, does that mean that you can only be 23% angry mm. or does that mean you can be a hundred percent angry, but only re like represent the light skin community? Like I'm confused as to what that means. Mm. And so it took me a long time and then not, sorry, not a long time, but it took me a little bit of, of walking myself through my past experiencing experiences and asking myself how I handled it then to answer the question and say, Malcolm, part of you and who you are and your ancestors is being attacked for zero purpose for existing, for existing. Mm -hmm. And it's, it, it's saddening. It's, mm -hmm. um, traumatizing it's it almost it almost is like you know you want to abandon 
I, I want to abandon the one half of me and just go over to white because it's safer. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? It's like, you can't do that. And again, when being in this, it's, it's the best way I can explain it is like, you know, whites versus blacks. It's like, you know, shooting at each other, but then there's the light skins in the middle. There's the mixed community in the middle and both sides are saying, get over here and grab a gun. And you're, you're torn between the two, right? What, do, what do I do? And so what I'm, what I'm learning is for myself is that, you know, black people are angry, they're yeah. tired, they're angry, and they just want to be heard. They're not forcing anything. They're not forcing frustrations on me. If I'm angry, it's because I was mistreated. I was suppressed. And, and now I feel like we've got a little bit of traction. Mm-hmm. You know, I had, it took me time to realize that like, it's okay to be angry with yourself, right? Be, like not with yourself, but at this, like it's, it's okay to, for you to be angry because you are being pulled in two different directions. Mm-hmm. And, and that was hard for me to understand as well as just like, just you don't have to pick a side. I just choose team Malcolm. I'm pissed off because I sh- nobody should be treated mm-hmm. like that. Not because black people shouldn't be treated like that, but because nobody and specifically part of me has been and is. Mm-hmm. And, and how, how do you not get that? You know, you can't ever go through it and you won't ever go through it. But how do you understand how do you not understand enough to a point where black people don't have to go through it? That doesn't make any sense to me. That's where, that's where the gap is for me. And I think as speakers and artists, um, we have a certain level of responsibility to help bridge that gap. Yeah. Mm-hmm, big time. And, you know, I signed up for that speech competition, you know, <laughs> <laughs> um, for, for different reasons. And, and now I'm slowly realizing that, you know, I signed up for, a lot. And, and I'm excited. I'm, I'm excited. I signed up for a lot. I did, but I'm ready to take on a lot because I want the world to find out who they are and re and get reborn the exact same way that I did. And in this particular situation, I, I think all black people are waiting on their rebirth right now. I think they're waiting, waiting on something for, of, of that to happen, you know? Wow. Thank you. (laughs) Oh man. Yeah. No, like there's, Oh, you said so much. And you know, there's, I, I, one of the things I was many things that I want to summarize in what you said is that there, the feelings and the anger and the grief and the rage that Mm -hmm. the black community, which includes the mixed black community that like, we have to acknowledge that is so valid and so justified and that, you know, that needs to be said and needs to be really heard from, mm-hmm. from white people, although also non, non, non-black and indigenous people. I, 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 was, I was sharing on a, a Instagram live. I was so honored to be like an ally um, speaking uh, about what's happening right now in the world with um, the black community and police brutality and people's lives being taken and racism. And, uh, and mm-hmm. I was saying, um, I will never know what it's like. To, no. to be black. I won't, I won't. And, and I can, I can connect on some levels with bullying and microaggressions and things mm-hmm. like that. But like, I, I need to learn, I need to understand and learn and research. So just cause I'm here being like, I'm the host of Mix and Six podcast. What you said was like, it really, I really felt it. It's like, we'll never know, but we have to, we have to start to learn to understand and to research. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And and obviously, Malcolm, you have a gift for storytelling and I appreciate speaking. That. <laughs> sorry, sorry, sorry. I have a don't lot of apologize. stories. So I just no, don't for... apologize. No, it's beautiful. It's beautiful and it's perfect. And I, I'm kind of bringing that around because I think what I am hearing from you is that uh, you you have a voice and you found your voice. And mm-hmm. this is like, this is the time for you to to share your voice. Yeah. And to, more, to, now more than ever, more than and, ever. Yeah. And to get loud. So mm-hmm. kind of, kind of coming to this kind of coming circle circle in our conversation mm-hmm. is, you know, is perhaps, is, is there something that we can look forward to from, from your speaking or is like, how can people get in touch with you and hear yeah. what you have to say outside of this podcast? Um, yeah. So 
basically I'm my, my door is always open. Um, I make it uh, a policy for myself that I answer everything. Mm-hmm. So that was a, that was actually a, like a lot for me is I had to take a couple of days off work after my, my video went out, but I wanted to ensure that I responded to every single comment and every single uh, message that was sent to me. Um, but yeah, you can find me on uh, Instagram at mhooper17 mm-hmm. or uh, find me on Facebook. Uh, shoot me a message and let's just talk because like you just said about like you needing education, for the most part, it's not going to come from Google. It's not going to, it's going to come from having an actual discussion mm. and, ex- and seeing what they actually experience. Because like I said, you're not doing research like you need more information on the topic you're doing research for empathy and you yeah. don't do research for empathy from Wikipedia. You do research from empathy from people who have been suppressed, people who have gone through it. So, so the one thing I'd say is if you're going to educate yourself, um, all we want to do is talk and be heard. That's all black people have ever wanted since the beginning of time to be valued, to be spoken to and to be listened to, listened to. That means you probably ask one question and you don't talk for a while. You know what I mean? Even if something is just on the tip of your tongue and you got to say it, you know, just let them speak. And hopefully at the end of it, um, we can all have a, a, a sense of appreciation. And I hope this stems further than just black people. I hope this goes into, into everything. And you realize that, wow, we suppress black people. We suppress women. We suppress children. We, we suppress everybody and everything that we could possibly suppress. Mm-hmm. And I'm hoping that at the end of this, that not only a part of me and my culture gets recognized, but every single part of this beautiful life that I've come to love, I'm hoping that that can also be recognized as well. Mm. Mic drop. <laughs> <laughs> That's it. We're done here. Yeah, Let's yeah, wrap it yeah. Up. It's like we all need to come together. We need to listen. Mm-hmm. We need to have those difficult conversations and it can't just be black people and white people absolutely right? it's everybody yeah. um and to you know that intersectionality right it's like we all are human and we all experience things differently not the same but mm-hmm. we if we just sat down and got to know each other and and just talked it out <laughs> i say mm-hmm. talking it out is maybe not gonna do it but <laughs> but i know i hear what you're saying it's like we all have to have a seat at the table some people 100%. need more seats at the table. And recognizing yeah. and feeling that you deserve a seat at the yeah. table. You've, you've never not been invited. You've always had a place there. It's just, when are you going to pull out the, the, the chair and have a seat? Mm. Once you do, once you do, we can talk. We can talk about anything you want to talk about at the dinner table. But I always thought going from the, the kids table to the adult table was an invitation. I didn't realize it was just a pick your chair up, walk over, place it down and have a seat. The second I realized that, I started inviting everyone to do the same. And all of a sudden, <laughs> we were having all these discussions at the adult table, and we just all we just led, left the the kids table. And, and as we left the kids table, went to the adults table, we also left behind immaturities. We also left behind, you know, you know, th- childish things and activities and things like that. You know, it's just the part of growing up. But the but what I'm trying to say is, it's not an invitation. And if you're waiting around to be invited to that table, you're going to be stuck with your, you know with your drink in your hand because you have to just grab your chair, go over and have a seat. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, a question that I ask everybody near the end, just cause you were talking about moving from like the kids table to the oh, yeah. adult table mm-hmm. is um, Malcolm, what would you say to your younger self now? <laughs> That's a tough uh. one. If I could say one thing to my younger self, what would it be? It doesn't have to be one thing. And I'll just, oh, okay. If it just anything I would say to myself, yeah. Um, well, I would have wrecked I would have went back and told my younger self immediately that, you know, you're not this cookie cutter lifestyle thing that you're living out right there. I would have squashed that immediately because I went on far too long believing that I was somebody else before I truly Mm -hmm. found out who I was. So that's the first thing I would squash. Um, the second thing is I would just say that, you know, I'm proud of you. Like, yeah, I would just say I'm proud of you. I used to listen to motivational speeches when I was in the shower. You know how people put their speaker there and they blast music. I didn't listen to music. I listened to motivational speeches that just said you like Eric Thomas and, you know, 
and like Les Brown and all these people, yeah. you can do it. You are enough. All this stuff because I had never had anybody to tell me that. So if I could go back and talk to myself, I would just say, Malcolm, I'm proud of you, man. You know, you're just like, I get it. You know, I can say I get it to younger me because I lived it. Yeah. You know, nobody else can say that they get it. So I would just tell younger Malcolm that I get it and I'm proud because it was the only thing that I needed to hear at that time. And I think I wasn't in the right state of mind to be able to tell myself then. then. So I think if I could, I would tell myself now. Yeah. I think younger, no, I don't think younger Malcolm would be so proud of you. I hope so. I think, I think he is too. Think yeah. Too. Oh my goodness. Oh, just taking a deep breath. <laughs> yeah, I've needed several of those through these stories. It's brought up so many, oh, many emotions. I'm, I'm so grateful. I'm so, I'm so grateful to be at a table with you. I know it's kind of a virtual <laughs> table yes, and to yes. be sharing spaces and, and to just ask a few questions and really listen to hear your story. Um, I appreciate, I appreciate the opportunity. I, I love to, I love to share and I, I appreciate you, uh, you asking me. And every time you tell me that you, you're a fan and you, you like my, my message, it still blows my mind because uh, I would have done this speech or no speech. Yeah. Well, keep, keep speak like, keep spreading I will. your story. It's I so will. needed. And um, you know, just also a reflection that I'm, I'm, I'm thinking of is like, you know, I <laughs> felt when I, when I heard your speech the first time, I was like this, you know, this young man is really powerful. Um, and like kind of hearing and talking to you for the last <laughs> two hours. Yeah, I'm just like, more listening. Yeah, yeah just me no, rambling for no, a couple no, hours. Perfect. But... I'm just, I'm just here to like. Share, <laughs> I, I want to have you share your story. That's what I'm here for. Um, mm -hmm. you know, I'm, I'm realizing like even more on a deeper level, like what you've gone through and how much. I know you, you know how, how, how do you describe how you overcame? It's, it's so mm -hmm. hard, but like that power of belief, that belief in yourself, that rebirth, that coming to on on your own terms figuring out your identity and claiming mm -hmm. that like that rings so true and it's mm -hmm. such a powerful story i'm grateful to have heard it i appreciate that. I'm, help I'm happy you're able to summarize that up because for most people listening that's actually in a nutshell if they could ask any inspirational speaker one question it's exactly that mm -hmm. and you know we struggle all the time with trying to answer it so i hope i hopefully that you know i touched on it the best i could yeah, you did. And it's your, it's your story to tell. So everyone who's heard, <laughs> who's listening to this podcast, mm -hmm. I'm, I'm happy that you're here. And I'm, I know that they have taken something away from hearing your story. I'm again, super, I, I feel, I feel blessed. I feel blessed to have met you and to have been able to be a part of sharing your story. I appreciate it. That's a two way, that's a two way street. I feel the exact same way. Thank you so much for having me. Mutual admiration society. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, mixed in the six. Yeah, mixed in the six. And, <laughs> you know, I think, oh, I, I'm wondering if there's anything else that you would want to say, but also like, I know you said people can get in touch with you, mm -hmm. but like, how can they get in touch with you? So any final thoughts and how do people, how do people book you for like speeches? You know, like that's. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. So I'm, uh, like I said, I'm finishing up my, uh, my schooling here at Durham mm -hmm. college. Uh, so I've got a kind of lot on the go, yep. but I'm always writing. I'm always mm -hmm. for lo looking uh, for new things that inspire me. So even if anybody was to just like have a conversation with me, that might be what I needed, you know, just to spark something out. So mm -hmm. I have no idea what that trigger is or what triggers me to, to bring up what I want to talk about, but you know, you could be the reason why I, I keep, I keep sharing my story. So don't feel hesitant. Please grab your chair, come to the adult table. We will, we'll talk about it. We'll hash it out. I will kind of give you my perspective the best I can, but I'm never gonna, I'm going to get it, but I'm never going to fully understand. Mm -hmm. And I hope that you could do the same with me and we could do that together. So that's the long and short of it. Instagram, Facebook. Um, is it at Malcolm M? Wait, is it at, at, at M Hooper? <laughs> <laughs> I'm like trying try to impress you to, I, I totally forgot, but I knew uh, it was my something Instagram, like that. My Instagram is M Hooper 17. Okay. I knew, yes. I knew that it was, yeah, I knew there was a number in there. <laughs> and my I Facebook's just, just Malcolm Hooper. No worries. Yeah. Got it. <laughs> mm -hmm. There you go. Honestly, thank you so much. Everybody listening, connect with um connect with 
Malcolm, Facebook, Instagram. Um, you touched on it. There's a beautiful, your, your spoken word poem that you do for Mother's Day that's on mm -hmm. there and hopefully other things that people can listen and interact with in the future. Mm -hmm. um, and yeah, I'm, I'm so happy that we met and so happy to have you and hope <laughs> to have you on again sometime. Awesome. Thank you. I'll definitely come back again. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of the Mix in the Six podcast. Hope you enjoyed it. And if you do, do not forget to subscribe, comment, and share the love to keep bringing more stories, insights, and cool perspectives from the mixed community. And if you or someone you know is a fellow mixie and want to share your unique story and are up to awesome stuff, we want to hear from you for a potential feature. Look below in the show notes for more info. Much love to you and see you soon. Yeah.